0: We forget that the people that we read about in the Bible are just like us. They struggle with the same things that we struggle with. And they sinned like we do, and worse. And we have one of the saddest chapters in the Bible here adultery, murder, lying from someone described as a man after God's own heart. <coughs> These things were written for our instruction. And we learn that gross sin actually starts small, but significantly when a heart turns away from being satisfied by God and looks somewhere else for satisfaction and worst of all, finds it. And what we want to look at here is the fact that you never want to let your heart be dissatisfied. So I'm reading here the first verse of chapter 11 in 2 Samuel. It says here, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, for those jumping in the middle of this, um, what we like to do is just look at and study the accounts, the history that's written in the Bible, and look at what these guys are doing, and see if it's something for us to imitate, something for us to avoid. We can learn principles about how to live, how not to live. So it starts here in the spring of the year. That's the time when kings go out to battle. And it was time for David to go out and finish the war that began with Ammon. And the reason that this happened was because David just wanted to comfort the new king in Ammon. His father had died. They were friends. And instead, the new king of Ammon treats David's servants outrageously, shaves off their beards, cuts off their clothes, and it's an insult. And that begins a war with Ammon. And David's general, Joab, defeated the hired mercenaries that Ammon hired and said, Eh, we're going to just shove your nose in it, David. But Joab defeats him. But then he doesn't finish what he started. And the reason is it's the end of the year for warfare. When it comes to be winter time, it's cold, rainy, and wet. And you can't fight a battle when you're up to your hips in mud, when you're, Troops are sleeping rough and cold. So what happens is you get to a certain point and you have to say, okay, we're going to pick it up in the spring. And everybody goes home, rearms, rests up, trains new guys, gets ready to finish the campaign in the spring. So this is what David did. Now, here's the time when you're supposed to go out. This is a king's duty and responsibility before God. But David avoids doing his duty. Isn't that interesting? When it comes time after you know, a winter time of inactivity, and you rest up, and you got time to just, you know, stretch out, relax, get your brains together again. And then comes the time when you're supposed to do it, and David says, No. I'm not going to do that. Now, he doesn't do this because he doesn't want to do that. Does everybody get that? kind of like me going out. Do I want to go out? It's a nice day. Uh, I don't know if I want to. Well, why is that? Well, I'm going to have to load my gear into the car. And then I'm going to have to drive there and unload it and set it up and play a bunch of music for a long time. Do I really want to do that? Sounds like a lot of work. See, working for God could make you tired. Do you want that? Ooh, David says, I don't think I want to. So he says to Joab, you do it. Now Joab is working for the king, right? He does not have the option to say, well, you know, David, I've been thinking about that. That could make me tired. I don't want to do that. Joab has to say, yes, sir, I'll go out there and do it. Okay, so he obeys his orders and he goes to battle. Now, David is the king. He's accountable to God. He has a duty before God. But David starts acting like ordinary kings and he says, hey, I'm the boss. I can do anything I want to do. And I don't want to do this. So right now, David is doing a tiny little thing that you and I do. He's indulging himself. He could say yes, but he doesn't want to. So he says no. Now, That doesn't seem like an earth shaking event, does it? David says, Nah, I don't want to do that. And all heaven goes (laughs) lightning and thunder. Okay, I was just kidding. I'll do it. He just says to Joab, You do it. I'm staying home. Joab says, Yes, sir. Nothing happens. But that is a very tiny act of disobedience, and he's saying no to God. So then, that's verse 1. Let's read verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house." So it wasn't exactly the evening, like the middle of the night. It was actually getting towards that. He was awakening from his siesta. In the Middle East, it gets too hot. Middle of the day to do anything, and so you take a nap. And you get up later in the cool of the day, and you keep on going with your day. But David doesn't have anything to do because he decided to stay inactive. He's not doing what he should be doing, so now he starts kinda kicking around. He's not doing anything, he's just looking. He's got this palace, and it's the tallest thing around, and he's got a view, so he's kinda up on the top looking. And that's when trouble finds him. He sees this beautiful woman bathing. Now she is probably in the courtyard of her house, so there's walls on all sides, nobody can see her. She's not doing anything wrong. But because he can see her, whammo. Now that's accidental. And he could say, oops, I don't want this, and walk off. But he keeps on looking And that is intentional. Now he's saying, wow, wow. But not very loudly because she might hear. Wow. Now, he follows up on her. And that is intentional. What is her name? Who is she? How come I don't know about her? So he sends his guys to be cagey, to kind of not let anybody know what's going on here, but he follows up and finds out who she is. That's intentional. And he finds a lot of reasons to let her go and not follow up with this. Because he finds out her name. And she's the daughter of Eliam turns out this gentleman is a member of David's elite military group called the 30. And they are amazing warriors. They are close associates of the king. They are the best of the best and they're loyal and they're powerful. she's a daughter of one of the 30 but not only that she's married and she's married to a guy in the 30 this involves two of david's elites close to him and powerful and there's a third relationship here that we only find about out about later and that is she is the granddaughter of david's close advisor, Ahithophel. Now, none of this makes him think, oh, well, I can't cross these guys. I can't betray them. They're my loyal guys. They're my counselors. They're my warriors. Oh, this would be wrong. I I shouldn't do this. Because David is self-indulging and he's self-serving. And I picked those words because of the definitions. Self-indulging is excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. Self-serving is serving one's own interests often in disregard of the truth or the interest of others. Now that's exactly what David is doing. He's not thinking about what's gonna blow up if he follows through and he sleeps with Bathsheba. All he's thinking about is, wow, wow. And that's all he's thinking about. Now, what you can think about becomes doable. The more you think on it, the more possible it is to do, regardless of what it is. And so at a certain point, David uses his authority and he summons her to himself. And somehow, he sleeps with her and she purifies herself from her ritual and cleanness because that's in the law, that when you sleep with somebody, you have a ceremonial impurity and you have to cleanse yourself of that. She does that, and she goes home. Now David has committed one act here, and it touches many lives. Because he's a king, he has seven wives, he has committed adultery seven times what you and I would commit. He has sinned against her husband, her father, her grandfather. He sinned against himself because the immoral man sins against his own body. And he has sinned against God who has commanded sexual purity. All of that in one act. So then, David tries covering all this up. Look in verse five. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent David, uh, sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered, and David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also. Tomorrow I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house." In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Didn't you know they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Wasn't it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall? So he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had said by him. And the messenger said to David, "'Surely the men prevailed against us "'and came out to us in the field. "'Then we drove them back "'as far as the entrance of the gate. "'The archers shot from the wall at your servants, "'and some of the king's servants are dead. "'And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also.' "'Then David said to the messenger, "Thus you shall say to Joab, "'Do not let this thing displease you, "'for the sword devours one as well as another. "'Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So Bathsheba becomes pregnant, something that David never counted on. And, of course, what that means is that he will be caught because her husband is with the army and could not have been the father. So she will be revealed as an adulteress. It has to come out. Now, the law of God says that you shall not commit adultery and if you commit adultery, you forfeit your life. It's a capital offense against God. So she's dead now. But the law also says that the adulterer must forfeit his life. And that means... David is dead now. So he has to do something to cover up his sin, he thinks. Numbers 32, verse 33 says, be sure your sin will find you out. And that's what's happening to David now. So the first way that David tries to cover this over is to make it look like Uriah is the father of the child. So he calls him back to Jerusalem and he makes this show of being interested. How's the battle going? How is Joab going? What's your strategy? I want your insight on this. And then he says, well, good, thank you. I want you to go down to your house, sleep it off, and you can get back to work. But Uriah doesn't do that. And when he explains why, he practically rebukes David for not doing what he's supposed to be doing without even knowing it. He says, why didn't I go down and sleep with my wife? All the guys are out in the field. They're all sleeping rough. They're all working hard. And am I going to just go and say, and just whoop it up with my wife? Forget it. I'm not going to do that. And there's David, whooping it up. A little slap there. And he he was completely unaware of what was going on. So then, David tries to corrupt Uriah and get him drunk so he would do something that he would not do if he were sober. And it doesn't work. That means that Uriah is... Incredibly faithful, loyal, just the kind of guy you always want. You never turn down a guy you can trust. A guy who is loyal, constant, faithful. And that's why it's crazy. All David could think of is, I got to get rid of this guy. So now, He sends him back to Joab with a letter that says, make sure this guy gets killed. Find a way to get this guy killed. Now, this is gross. It's wicked. But it's not as wicked as we are nowadays. Because did you notice that nobody thinks of killing the baby? Killing the baby would wipe out the evidence. That's what we do nowadays. But it's still murder. Does everybody get that? It's murder to cover up wickedness. They didn't think of it back then. We do. That's what's wrong with us. So, Joab sends a messenger back to David. Now, Joab's in on this. He's not quite sure what's going on, but he says, Whoa, he wants Uriah the Hittite dead. So he does it. Now, Joab is an accomplice in whatever's going on, and he sends a message back to David. So only David knows okay, whatever you wanted, it's done, he's dead. And David says to Joab, well, don't worry about it. Because you know, in war, people get killed all the time. What a great attitude that is. Look on the bright side of life, Joab. But all David can think about is, I'm in the clear. I got away with it. I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to die. I fixed it. I fixed it. And it would have worked, except that God saw everything. And now, think about this. David is a practicing atheist. He's acting like there's no God, that God didn't see everything and know everything. Does this make any sense? But that's the position that David is in. So, next week we're going to find out how God deals with sin. And that's going to be important. But for this week, we look at this and we say, Okay, you never want your heart to be dissatisfied. This is the big takeaway. Because David fell into this trap of everything's going good. I don't need God. And it's this mindset that says God is for when you're in trouble. When something's going wrong. When the Philistines are trying to kill you. Or some upheaval is going on and you go, oh God. Kind of like what people do during a pandemic. People go to church in a pandemic. People are scared to death in a pandemic. People pray to God in a pandemic. But when the pandemic is over, everybody goes back to doing what they were doing before and not seeking God. It was really funny. You can look on the website where my videos are. And during the pandemic, I had a surge in views. And when the pandemic was over, it went right back to For a while there, I was a rock star. And now, back to being Clark Kent. It's really funny. I haven't changed a thing, but people are going, "Uh, who cares? I don't need God. Now, when you're not about to get killed, you do your own thing you live your own life, and you look for what satisfies you. I'm in control, I change the channel. I do what I want to make myself happy. That's what my life is about. Now you look at the situation that David's in. He's at peace, he's had a whole winter of laying low Chipmunks roasting on the open fire. <laughs> Jack Frost nipping at your nose. It's wonder winterland, okay? <coughs> Let's have another cup of eggnog. Let's just enjoy life. It's peaceful. There's no work going on. And just that very day, He had taken a nap, he was refreshed, it's the cool of the day, and there's nothing going on. And that's when it hits him. Why should he be on his guard? Is it dangerous now? Blammo. It grips him. Why was he even in this position? because he was dissatisfied. And he quit looking to God sometime in this winter period when he didn't need God. Hey, I know how to drink eggnog and warm my chipmunks by the fire or whatever. I don't know how to do that. I don't need God for that. Everything's cool. And you would think that David had enough on hand to satisfy him, he's the king. He can have anything he wants. He's got authority, victory, and seven wives. Is everything okay? Does he have enough of everything he could ever possibly want? Well, then he should have been satisfied, huh? You should have said, Hey, man, I got plenty. I'm good. Everything's great, but he's walking around not satisfied because he doesn't have any joy in serving the Lord. When he's thinking about serving the Lord, he just goes, "Ah, sounds like it's going to kind of wipe me out. Who cares? I'll send Joe out. So it's like, I don't want to do that. I want to just goof off. I'll take a walk around the top of the palace, I don't know, looking. That's how some people kind of use the internet. I'll just go looking and just see what happens. Blam, comes something up. (laughs) That's how it works. Now if you're not being satisfied by the Lord, you end up looking somewhere else for satisfaction. That's just the way it works, because that's the way we're built. We need to have satisfied hearts. Is that not so? So if you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you drink. If you have a need, you fill that need. Now if somebody gives you a need, you know, you find out your cuticles are too short. You need a cuticle stretcher to have long, beautiful cuticles. Then you go, my goodness, I've lived all my life without long, beautiful cuticles. I need to get one. So I'll look it up on Amazon and look at all the reviews and see which one is the real good cuticle lengthener. And then I too can have long, beautiful cuticles. A need I never even knew I had. Well, David sees a beautiful woman, and here comes the suggestion, this will satisfy you. And David cannot think of anything else. This woman will satisfy me. And the thinkable becomes doable. That's why you wanna guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. It starts in the heart. So here is a constant in your life to think about. It is important for you to have a satisfied heart. It's not an option. It is a necessity. You need to seek the Lord to be satisfied all the time. And that means... When you're out and about and it's crunch time and you need God to help you for your exams, for your work, gotta get the shopping done, I gotta get this done, I've got a ton of things to do today, God, please help me. But then when the pressure's off, hey, it's Saturday, it's my day, it's Funsville. Okay, now I'm gonna mess around and just do whatever I want because it's my time, leave the Lord in the dust. But that's when you get into trouble. You try to satisfy your heart on your own. Now, see, that means in your downtime, in your vacation time, in the times when you don't think you need the Lord, you still need to be satisfied by the Lord all the time. Or else. You're going to look for satisfaction somewhere else other than the Lord. And you will find it. That's the scariest thing. When you go looking, you're going to find it. But it's not going to satisfy. It's going to lead to moments of pleasure. And the consequences go on and on and on and on. So, I can imagine some people here thinking, don't ever let your heart get dissatisfied. I would like to get my heart satisfied to start with. So how do you do that? And the answer is, there are so many scriptures about this that it's hard to even pick one. But I picked one. Do you want to hear it? It's in Matthew 11, and it's 28 to 30, where he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now that doesn't sound right, does it? You don't take a yoke on you, which is what you hitch up two animals to so they can pull something. That doesn't sound like rest, does it? That sounds like work. Sounds like it could exhaust you. Is that really going to provide rest? Well, Jesus says, come to me. And get cinched and tied into this yoke with me. So that it's you and me, he says. It's not you by yourself. And when you get tied into, cinched into, good and tight, you find that he's doing most, if not all, of the pulling. Isn't that interesting? Then he says, take my burden upon you. And it turns out that we cannot carry the burden of being ourselves. We can't. We don't have enough strength. We exhaust and then we start looking for satisfaction in places we shouldn't. We look for quick fixes. But Jesus says, I want you to have my burden. Now that's an interesting thing. That is everything that he is doing that he has done since he made the world. He's got a plan. Part of that plan is you. His plan is to get you where you need to be. He's gonna get you there as you stay good and tight in there and cinched. How do you feel now? I'm okay. Ready to pull? I think so. Don't go anywhere. I don't think I could. That's where I like you. Right here. Okay. It's his burden. Did you know that your life is his burden? God cares about your work, he cares about your food, he cares about your taxes. He cares about everything that you care about. And he cares more than you do. And you think, well, I don't know if anybody could top me. I care a lot about me. But you know, God's better than you are. And he cares more than you do. And he says, if you stick with me, I'll get you everywhere you need to do and I will carry you in my strength. See? So this is the challenge. Can you stay tied in and cinched up with Jesus? And here's how you do it. You say, Lord, I come to you and I want your burden. Let me just have your burden and nothing of my own. What do you want? And I trust you to keep me with you. And there you go. So, something comes along and you say, well, I don't know, is this what you want? And you reference with him, and then here's what you find out. It satisfies your heart. Why? Because you're doing what you know God wants you to do. And you get rest for your soul, and that's what you want. And if you've got rest and peace and you're satisfied, you're not going to flip out at the first chance to jump the rails and go crazy because you're really dissatisfied. This is your best defense. Is not to try to satisfy yourself. You haven't got a clue what would satisfy you, but he does. And so you say, okay, what do you want? You can even say, I have a need. I'm not satisfied. I don't wanna do what you want. So keep me in the yoke. And he says, I will. It was really funny how my attitude changed. I really didn't wanna go out. And I said, what do you want? He says, ah, why don't you go out? It really sounded just like that. And I don't know that God talks to me all that much, but I just, What do you want? And he says, ah, why don't you do it? And it just changed my heart. And I said, okay. This is stupid. This is really dumb. Do something. And then he does something. And I go, I'm okay with that now. I'm really glad. You made this pay off. Wow. I'm happy in my heart. See? Now, if he makes you happy, do you care how he makes you happy? Does it matter? What if it's completely different than what you think? Isn't that okay? So if you say, God, would you satisfy my heart? I don't care how. And he does it, then what are you worried about? Because it wasn't this one on Amazon with all the five-star reviews? What if God knows better? And then you see, oh my gosh, I can trust God for all this stuff. Wow. You're at peace, you're at rest, and you say, wow, I love being tied in and cinched up real tight. <clears throat> now, this chapter also shows us that you cannot deal with with the consequences of your sin. Does everybody get that? At our very best, all we end up doing is murdering more people. It's completely inadequate. The only one who can deal with sin is God. And that's why you gotta be around for next week because we're gonna see God deal in the only acceptable way with murder, adultery, and lying. But it is enough for this week to realize whatever place you're in with God, whatever sin you've committed, you can always come to Jesus, and He will make it right. Now, we're going to have a time of communion this morning, and this is where you make it right. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you do not have to wait until next week to get right with God. You gotta do it right now. Does everybody get that? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you caused these things to be written for our instruction so that we could avoid danger and hurt and consequences that go on and on and on. And we thank you that you see everything. You know everything. And you're the only one who can help us with our sin and who can satisfy our hearts. And we pray this morning that you would do both. We thank you for Jesus dying for us and rising from the dead. And we praise you that that makes us right with you. And we want to put our trust in Jesus. And we pray this morning that you would satisfy our hearts. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.